Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, workshops, founder coaching, resources, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, funding, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword. and can take you right to the answers you're seeking, and one of our team members can help you find them. More information is available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, I'm Steve Clear, and joining me on the show today is Chris Smith, one of the co-founders of Humble Maker Coffee. Chris is an experienced entrepreneur with over 20 years experience dedicated to founding, financing, and growing emerging brands in the fashion apparel, optical, and now CPG sectors. His work has included being SVP and CFO of Iron and Resin, an omni-channel outdoor lifestyle brand. He was employee number one and shareholder of global lifestyle brand Rayan Optics, was also the co-founder and general partner of retail concept Harlow Boutique, and the founder and managing director of Future Options Brand Management, which leads us all to coffee. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. It's good to be here today. Okay. So you're one of those serial entrepreneur guys. <laughs> just can't leave well enough alone, right? Yeah, that's the path I've chosen, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> well, you know, you've had a variety of stuff and, and some, some good retail focus, which is always good for CPG. We'll talk a little bit about the differences, but first let's talk about why coffee. You know, I've, I've been a, a fan of cold brew coffee for a long time and, uh, you know, really getting more into actual, you know, uh, coffee beans and sources and origins yeah. over the last, you know, you know, five to seven years. But it really started with, you know, Brian, my, my co-founder, he had a, a cold brew business that he stumbled into in 2010, 2011. And, uh, you know, we decided to, to join forces after we worked together, starting another sunglass brand about uh, 20 years ago. And so it, it was just my love of cold brew is Brian's love of, of coffee and our both combined uh, love of the outdoors. And, and uh, that's how Humble Maker started. So, so you guys had worked together and, and obviously both like coffee. I mean, assuming that's that, you know, coffee aficionados and stuff. Did you, did you look at doing a, a CPG product originally, or you're looking at the, at the stores originally, or how'd that evolve? Yeah. So Originally, we launched with a seven ounce ready to drink cold brew. And that's what we did. That's what we launched with. We had concepted the brand in, in 2016. And then we launched locally in SoCal with Gelson's and um, uh, Bristol Farms. Oh, yeah. and, and so it was just a it was just a single product, single skew. And that was really our focus was was the ready to drink. Our products have, you know, our ready to drink products have certainly evolved since then with our wellness cold brew shots and opening the coffee shops was never really part of our original plan. It was something that was opportunistic. Uh, we had some friends that had a, a lifestyle brand down in Seal Beach and said, hey, you've got to open up a coffee shop here. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. We're focused on this. And that's how it came to be. I'm really glad that it has. It's been a, a great part of our brand and, and experience for our customers to be able to come in and and touch and feel what we're about, right? And so it's our, our business has definitely evolved in the last you know five years. 
certainly. And if you if you you take a look at the, the product line and stuff on the website today, yeah, pretty amazing selection. Well, let's also let's tell everybody if you're interested in Humble Maker Coffee and the other products, where can we find them, Chris? That's on our website. So that's going to be humblemaker.coffee. Don't forget the www.humblemaker.coffee. Dot coffee, you do that. And all right, so so you you have the RTD and the businesses out there, kind of a little sideways move for the retail location. How did the whole wellness shot tinctures, all of the other stuff that sits in there, come about? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was out out and about, you know, shaking and moving, and and ran into someone that uh, had uh, asked us if we were interested in in adding the wellness into our products at the coffee shop, and I said, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I'm you know, be, be into that. And he and I got to started talking and I said, have you ever, you know, done this with ready to drink? And he said, no. So we, you know, formed a sort of unofficial handshake partnership and we had our, our cold brew shots at the time that we were developing. And so we, we, you know, we, we got the flavor profiles done and then we added each of the wellness benefits to it. And, and that's really how it came about. And, you know, I was, looking around to get some help with some some press and a PR firm. And this was in, I don't know, October of maybe 2019. And she had suggested, she's like, hey, you know, you should you should submit this to the new beverage showdown at BevNet. And I was like, nah, I, I don't I don't think we can, you know, that's kind of above our 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 league or whatnot. Right. We're not shooting there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, I really think you should. And and so I was like, oh, okay. So we submitted and that's really how we we introduced it to the beverage industry. It was and it was an incredible response. So that's that's how it started. Yeah, and wellness, of course, just in time for a global pandemic to break out. So, <laughs> you know that goes through. We can talk a little bit about. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I did want to ask you about the the differences and the similarities in the businesses that you either founded or run or you know. I, what are the things that are were very different when you got into CPG? The biggest difference, well, was the the terminology in in the CPG space. Um, you know how retailers spoke, how distributors spoke, what this what the terms meant. We had similar similar things that that were in the apparel industry, except they were just they were called different things. So the right. mechanics were were the same, but yeah, the terminology was a big one, and the distributors. That was, you know, that adds another layer. We have, I've been accustomed to dealing directly with retailers, working with a Nordstrom or an Urban Outfitters or a Bloomingdale. Sure. You work directly with the stores. And in CPG here and in beverage, you then have the distributor that then works to the store. So that was a big difference. You know, we, we had experience in dealing with distributors, but it was always in international distributors. When you launched into the, the Japanese market or you launched into the Australian yeah, market. Right. You worked with the distributor and, and that, you know, so so similarities, but it was it was it was different for sure. The the interesting thing is even between in CPG, even between manufacturers and retailers, there's a major language barrier. So <laughs> what you know what you mean by margin and what they mean by margin are two different things. <laughs> right. Right. And and a lot of the stuff that's also logistically, you know, there's these whole ideas of of the supply chain and then trade promotion. Yeah. Just totally, totally different, but obviously the business background helped prepare you for this and you get into the lingo and, and you, you do it. Did you guys start out with a business plan? Did you put something down on paper? Did you do sticky notes? You know, (laughs) how'd you come up with that? 
So I, I, I have a background in that. Well, I, I have, you know, pretty detailed financial pro formas that are, you know, driven by what's, you know, financial terms of, of bottoms up. Right. And so right. we would try to put things together as, as, as detailed as possible and, and try to, you know, forecast and predict what we wanted to do and how we were going to go about it. And, and so that was, that was part of our plan, you know, and, and leveraging what we've done in the past with, with other brands. And so it was, you know, it wasn't maybe a Harvard MBA, MBA style business plan, but I think we were, we were pretty organized with what we were doing. It certainly wasn't just back of the napkin. Well, it, it, it's interesting because it, it, I, I ask people this question a lot because first of all, I, I love to know if people actually did a business plan and if so, what, what kind. And then of course, the next question is, so how did things differ from what you had in the business plan? <laughs> they always differ. It's just a question of how much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there was a lot of things that, that changed the trajectory of what we've done, right? Brian and I both at the same time had some, some really serious personal life issues that we had to deal with that really took us away from the business for about 12 months. And you just can't account for that, right? So that was, you know, that, that, that changed the course. And for everyone with COVID, right? I mean, no one saw no that. One saw, no, no, no. And, and so you can have the best laid plans and they make sense and they're very reasonable and, and uh, well thought out. So our plans have changed, um, you know, or they've differed from what we from what we planned. But what I will say is, what we have planned to do, we've always accomplished it. It just maybe not in the timetable that we wanted it to. And you know, I, I have a lot of other friends that are founders and and are entrepreneurs, and I think that's fairly common. You know, it, it's just th- things take longer than <laughs> they're the you only want. people that can tolerate us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, you know, it's just, you're, you, you want things to happen. You snap your fingers, you have an idea and you have a concept and it's like, I want it done now, but it doesn't necessarily happen that way all the time. So that's been, I think for a lot of people, you have to get, you know, just, you got to deal with it. You just got to accept it. What did you, or how did you pivot or whatever to deal with COVID? You know, we, we did a few different things. So we had, we opened up the coffee shop and we had our best month in February of, of 2020. 2020. And we had six months of data and I was like, all right, cool. We, we kind of understand what's happening here and you can get a really good hold and really start to fine tune things. And then COVID hit. I was really proud of the way that we handled it. You know, we really, we cut back the hours and, and we, we did a really good job of scaling things back and still managing to stay open. And, um, you know, the community there really supported us. And within six months, we were back to pre-COVID levels. So that was that was really great. That uh, is good. Yeah. And the shop has been doing, continuing to get uh, busier and we continue to have bigger and bigger sales months. So so that's been great. I would say on the, the RTD side, though, we weren't as fortunate. Like I mentioned, we had introduced the, the wellness cold brew shots at BevNet 2019. Yeah. And we had a lot of momentum and we had, you know, a brand management company and we had uh, sales brokers and we got a PR firm and it was like, all right, let's go and let's get in with UNFI and let's get in with Kehi and let's, let's rock and roll. You know, everyone's, th- this is it. And so we were not on shelf yet. We were not, we were not in with UNFI or Kehi yet. And yeah. so this kind of had to play a waiting game. And you just didn't know, is this going to be a month? Is it going to be six months? And so a lot of our plans that we had laid out to execute on in 2020 really didn't start to happen until, 
you know, Q3 of last year. So right. those, the wellness shots that we introduced in the end of 2019 really didn't make it on. They haven't even been on shelf for about six months right now. So, which is just crazy to me because that seems like forever ago. In so, so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. it, yeah there was... There was an interesting aspect, you know, unfortunate for some people and very fortunate for others, where well, I, I work with some folks who are in produce and, and who sell into produce. And, you know, produce doesn't run on a long lead in terms of, you know, available material. Most of their stuff goes bad in, in four or five days. Right. So their approach to doing stuff and continuing to order and continuing to look at product stuff pretty much remained unchanged. I mean, there was stuff they couldn't get or whatever, but that's not unusual. That happens. You have a freeze in Yuma, Arizona, and suddenly you don't have a lot of, you know, butter lettuce on thing, right? So that's fine. As opposed to the guys who were over in dry grocery in center store who are like, no, I can't see anybody. We're not doing, you know, we're canceling literally the reviews for the, 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 you know, the, the category this year, because yes, we're, we're not changing anything. So I don't need to, you know, see anything. And then gradually it kind of opened up. And then some people had the fortunate thing of being able to, a supplier was unable to fulfill an order and they got a call from the buyer. Hey, can you, do you have a hundred, you know, hundred thousand cases? Yeah. You know, whatever, 10,000 cases, you know, yeah, I got it. And I can ship it in. It was good because my shelf is empty. I can't have it that way. So it's, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of that changing around. Did you what about D2C, Chris? Did you did you heighten that? Did you focus on it? How how did it perform? We saw a little bit of an uptick. Um and and for us, it was not as maybe as uh, high of a growth as as maybe others saw. We we hadn't really and still haven't put a lot of resources into the website. And for anyone that is familiar with digital marketing, you know, with this recent iOS change, it's gotten more costly. It's not like it was five years ago. So, you know, we, we have a, uh, you know, a, a small growing business. It's very organic there, but it wasn't anything crazy. I think like maybe some other businesses saw because we were still really in our infancy stages. And, uh, you know, I was, I was focused on some other parts of the business at, at that time. And when you were going through the uh, that, that period immediately after BevNet and stuff, now you obviously became familiar with Kehi and, and UNFI. Did you get introduced to them because a retailer wanted to have you in and said they take care of this section of my store, or did you approach them to say, "Hey, you guys rep these stores, and they're the ones we want to be in"? Yeah, so we we went out and got some and got pre commits. And, and sort of, you know, had, had a, a rough idea of what it would take to open up one of the DCs and also knowing it was going to take a key retailer in each one of those DCs to open it. And, and so with, with UNFI, that was uh, Gelson's for us. Okay. And with, with Kehi, it was Lassen's. And so that allowed us to open up both of those DCs in, you know, in Southern California. I think one of them is, what is it, Chino? And the other is... Uh, I'm drawing Empire somewhere. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. That, yeah, it, and it, it's an interesting because the way most people come into it is exactly that way. You have a key retailer somewhere and, you know, now you have to add this in. Was your pricing and promotional budget prepared for going through retail, going through distributors? 
Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, we were we were prepared, you know, for it as best as we could. The, our pricing, I think, needs to be adjusted in, in all honesty. But it's like for every, you know, for every dollar that we've shipped, I think we still owe them another dollar. Or for every two dollars we've shipped, we owe them another dollar. So it hasn't been a very, you know, profitable part of the business yet. But I think that's just part of the game that you have to play as you're, you're, you know, you're, you're building and growing your brand. You know, I've, I've spoken with a lot of other founders in the same position and, and it's just like, yeah, that's fortunately or unfortunately, that's part of the game in, in, in CPG and in, in beverage, it seems. Yeah. And, and, and also it's, you know, a lot of that you put down to scaling will erase some of that. Right, make it easier to take. But if if it's not if you're not fully prepared for it, it can be just a huge, huge stumbling block going forward. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, you have one-time fees. Let's say you have slotting fees. Well, if you you know, as you continue to to to, to grow, you're going to have those. Yes, but that becomes a one-time you know, and at scale, it starts to 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 to, to turn and 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 uh, become profitable. And, you know, I think what's, what's different is I'll talk to friends that are still in the apparel industry and, you know, in certain cases, you might only have total 2,500 points of distribution where you could sell your products. And in, yeah. in, in, you know, in this case, you know, I think for us, we've identified that we, we feel that there's really 10,000 points of distribution that we could go into in the next, let's say three to five years. Yep. But beyond that, there's even more. I mean, there's there's you know there's probably a hundred thousand points of distribution that if you if you have the right product. So, you know, it, it it to your point, as you scale, things really start to financially you know make more sense. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's tough. Yeah, it's the inverted uh, inverted funnel. It gets actually gets better as you go up the funnel. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. And and move to that, it, it, provided of course you can you can scale. That's you, you've got to be able to, to do that. In 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 your partnership and in, in your, in your co-founding with with Brian, how do you guys divide up, or did you divide up the responsibilities and stuff? And has that changed at all? Yeah. So so Brian is is a really great creative. He's really great at at, at marketing and branding. And you know my more strength is on let's say the sales side and the operations and the finance. So. You know, he's yin and I'm yang, and it, it really, you know, was a great partnership in, in that regard. And so that's how it started. But, you know, that was five years ago, six years ago. And so, un- unfortunately, life has changed to, to some degree. You know, Brian is a, a single dad, and, you know, both of his boys are on the autism spectrum. Right. And so he, you know, he has, to, he has a family to support, he has a mortgage to pay. And so how it started was that we were both involved on the business in day to day and and now it's really just more me on the day to day. Brian is the creative director of a, a men's shaving grooming brand. Uh, and they were acquired by a, a larger entity and so he really works on that day to day and he's more of a of an advisor at this point. You know, and I hope as we grow and scale that we would be able to, you know, provide financially so that he could support his family. You know, he's a lifelong friend and and I love him dearly. You know, so I look forward to the day that we can, you know, work side by side like we did when we, when we started Humble Maker. Yeah, and you guys have a a great look and, you know, great packaging. I think it's, you know, yeah, so, you know, testimony to the creative abilities. Part part of that 
Chris, is the support for autistic charities and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about 10 for Autism and how that evolved? Yeah. So when, when we were concepting the brand, you know, we wanted to have some sort of give back component, some sort of social impact. And, you know, everyone has their rhyme or reason for what they do. I was really adamant that it needed to be a personal story and a personal connection. And so I, I was walking, you know, my dog one night and listening to a podcast and I was like, this is it. You know, and I called Brian and I was like, Brian, we need to do something to give back to the autism community. I said, like, this is your story. Like, this is, you are affected daily by this. And at first he was like, nah, man, I I don't really want to do that. And so I kept on him. I kept on him. And he finally agreed. And so, you know, that's how 10 for Autism uh, started. It's, you know, we we give 10% of our profits back to programs for children that are on the spectrum and, and expose them to... What our, what our passions are, which is, you know, outdoor and adventure and camping and music and, and whatnot. And on a very small scale, these are things that Brian witnessed with his boys, you know, uh, putting them on a, on a wave, surfing for the first time, taking him out and, and yeah. you know, and playing guitar by the campfire and, and seeing how their behavior changed positively after these experiences. And so, you know, our big dream concept is that, you know, we have this 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 nonprofit that we can affect. You know, children and communities that that potentially could out outlive and outlast the brand Hummelmaker. And that's right. very you know dreamy and and sort of pie in the sky. But like that's that's really where it started from. Obviously, it takes resources in, in order to do that. And so we do, you know, we do what we can right now to give back to yeah. the autism community. One of the things that I'm most proud of is at our shop in Seal Beach, there is a local high school and they have a, an adult student transition program because, you know, kids that are on, on the spectrum, once they graduate high school, you know, there's a good, good, good uh, uh, portion that aren't necessarily going to go to college. And it's like, well, what do they do? And they're not then they're not receiving government funding and, and whatnot. So it's it's providing you know uh, real life work training, and so we have some students that, that have come in, and one of them in particular, his name's Cameron, and he comes in and and he's just so excited to be there, and he wears his humble maker hat and he wears his humble maker <laughs> t-shirt, you know, and, and he he's learned how to how to pull shots from the espresso machine, and I'll I'll never forget this that there was a day I walked into the shop and Cameron is there behind bar, he's he's making a, a latte. And he gives it to his mom. And it was just like one of those moments that the, the, oh, yeah. the smiles on both of their faces was just like, it was a moment I'll never forget. Like I get like a little bit choked up just, just talking about it. Like it was just, you know, I, I hope that we yeah. can do that a hundred thousand times over if we right. open up more shops or if we get more resources, like it was just so cool. And you know, you're providing for some of the experiences and stuff. Even if you can't see it, you know, that's going on. Correct. Right. Yeah, exactly. Work out. Yeah. As in, in building, uh, you know, again, a little bit back to your more retail focused background, did you guys set out to say, okay, well, we know we want to be in Gelson's. That's pretty obvious. And then probably Bristol Farms and Mothers and where else. Uh, did you look at like a regional expansion first and hey, let's get SoCal down. Then maybe we head to Arizona or to Northern California How'd you guys look at that when you were putting it together? Yeah, that's what we set out to do. 
And as you know, we talked about plans don't always go as do you plan. So we, you know, we reached out to to Sprouts and and with the thought of maybe some regional stores, and we got approved for national distribution and you know one SKU. And it's one of those things where it's like, what? No way. Yeah, let's do it, and we'll figure out how to support it. You know, we didn't have the resources to do it, but like, let's do it. And you know, if I'm talking to other entrepreneurs and other things, and I knew better because of my background, like I, I've, I've launched products in national stores with Nordstrom and Urban Outfitters. And like, I, I know what it takes, but uh, it's also just, it's hard to turn down when it's right there in front of you. And, and so I, if I could go back in time as, as much as I would, you know, hate to turn down the opportunity, I probably should have and just focused in on the SoCal market. And so, you know, that's what we're going, we're going back to that is just, we're really trying to own Southern California and strategically, you know, into other markets, you know, and, and you got to weigh every opportunity as it comes. Like for example, Central Market reached out to us and they wanted to bring our products in and it was a full, all four of our SKUs. It was with shelf support and retail displays. And I was like, okay, you know what, let's do that. And so I actually just got back from, from Texas last night. We flew into Dallas and, and went into, you know, drove to all the, all the cities yeah. and it was great. So, you know, there are, there are exceptions. I think you have to weigh out each, each opportunity, but, you know, I would certainly caution from having done it just, you know, to, to, to be careful how, how fast you try to, yeah. to, to roll, roll products out. It, it, it is tough to, you know, to look at something like, and, and Sprouts doesn't make it easy because that's the way they do a lot of their category stuff. It's global. Right. It. I mean, yep. you, you don't have a choice. You, can, you can't say, oh, well, I want to do these 100 stores or whatever. But yeah, the same thing. I, I've done some work with a client who called literally because they had this opportunity and they'd taken it. And then he suddenly realized, uh-oh, what do I do to move the stuff off the shelf? Right. We're really not prepared for that. And I said, boy, I wish we had had this conversation three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, we would have thought about this a little bit, but you know, because it's very tough to do that, and it's very tough from a in some stores to do it as opposed to others, because some stores are set up much more to support stuff, whether it's digital couponing or dry sampling or whatever it was, especially during during COVID, and other chains you can't qualify for that stuff at that rate, right? So it's you know, you it's it, Pepsi gets those, not you. So very, very, very hard. And I, I think it's one of the things for you know entrepreneurs out there doing that. Just try to remember that not all distribution is good distribution. Correct. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Target, right targeted distribution. And I have a, a, a book on the shelf behind me that's an old World War II book called A Bridge Too Far. And I was a movie too. And it, it and it basically is about the British paratroopers who in capturing these bridges in Holland, sent the force one bridge too far and they got slaughtered. They they just, they couldn't get support to them in time. And that's the problem with a lot of brands in doing fast expansion is they can't get the resources there to make the stuff come out of the store. They get delisted and, you know, getting back in is way harder than right. getting in. Right. You know, right. Uh, they remember, right? Or even though it may be two different, you know, we've gone through four sets of buyers in the period of time. There's still, there's this little note that says, oh yeah, ABC brand, nah, they failed here last time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's important to 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 know that and to have the, the, the resources in place. You know, it's easier said than done. 
but it's it's really challenging if you don't have those 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 resources. Did uh, did did you guys discuss or look at doing some food service stuff with the shots and stuff at the grocery stores where you're selling? Food service in into like into the cafes there? Yeah. Yep. No, I, I I've had I've had, you know, sort of grand ideas about opening coffee shops in some of these locations that that may not be providing the best experience. Oh, yeah, that's an open market. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've Ooh. I've really thought about that. But again, that's resources. There's all there's only one of me. But if I had all the money in the world, I would I would I would explore that because I, I think there's an opportunity there. I, I think it's under it's an underdeveloped area for sure. I know a number of the Albertsons and Safeway stores, you know, have co-located Starbucks licensed, you know, whatever in them. But to have an experience where you're getting more of the experiential now, to have a nice place to go have coffee, whether you're going to go shopping or not, or whether you're just going to run in and get something, to have that kind of experience would, to me, be a major plus for for traffic and all just shopper experience. Right. And I think that you, you would target some of the smaller locations, you know, like a Gelson's, for example. Yeah, uh, where their customers would appreciate maybe something that's a little bit more, you know, smaller craft, you know, than a than a larger corporate, you know, Starbucks, you know, customer. And I and you know, and that's fine because Starbucks and Target, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But if it's a Starbucks at a smaller local grocery store, you know, it no. feels there's a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. So, you know, Chris, going back when you were doing the, the the first big launch with the PR company and branding people on it. Um, did you cut that back and then start again, building the team? And, and if so, what did you add back first? Yeah, we, we, we kind of, like I said, we didn't know how long things were going to last. And so we, we held on to everything we had as long as we could. And we, we, you know, we, we kind of cut things and cut things and cut things. And so we, we're actually in the, in the process of, of adding everything back in. And uh, that's part of what we're doing right now is we're actually doing a, a uh, an investment round. And what I've, from my experience, I would prefer to have, and what I've what I've witnessed with some of the other brands that I think are most successful is that when you have your own full time person dedicated to each one of those channels, and and so I've been doing a lot of the stuff myself until that happens, and so. You know, for example, having a, a sales manager, an area sales manager, whatever you want to call them, but someone who is 100% right. focused on just growing the retail business, right? Yep. yep. Someone who is a marketing and events manager that is just doing nothing but that, and and then is that is supporting, you know, supporting that market with with whatever that whatever it is, as e-commerce manager, someone like they're just living and breathing everything direct to consumer. <laughs> so, yep. you know, i have I've worked with agencies in the past, and, and in some cases it works, in other cases it, it it doesn't. I think for what we're doing now and where we're at, we'd be better served having our full time humble maker dedicated employees, and so that's that's really where where we're at. It, yeah, and that's a tough that's a tough decision thing. And you know, having been in the agency business for thirty years, you know there there are, but mostly with larger medium and larger size companies because you can do specialization and we were a fairly specialized agency. So, you know, but the idea of, you know, 
people talk about, I think social media is one of the ones where, you know, I'm, I, I don't really understand. I, I don't do Instagram. So we're going to outsource this and give it over. Well, you know, it's really hard to go to an agency and get to me the buy-in at that point to where the person really understands the brand, yep. the voice of the brand, the culture and social media now, especially has just, it was so different from the days when we just used to do advertising in mass media. You had a customer service department and people, if they got a bad you know, box busted or something, they call. That was pretty much it. Well, yeah. now all of a sudden you have dialogue <laughs> with all of these people in your, you know, whether they're brand ambassadors or they're just one-time customers or whatever. If they send an email or they put something on Facebook, you have to be able to respond to it. Oh, yeah. Or you're in trouble, you know, big trouble. Yeah. And, um, and that gets amplified with your success, right? Right. Uh, the more followers you have, the more customers you hope that you have. And, it, you know, you could have 100,000 customers, right? And you could have 99,900 of them that are happy customers, but you could have 100 of them that are, that are you know, trashing you on social media. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's, a, it's a bad thing and it's real. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part. And I completely agree. And that's, that's a perfect example of where an agency, I don't think it can make sense, but to really, we're a small brand and there is a, you know, there's a, there's a culture and a vibe and it's super important. I don't think that's something that we could outsource, right? What I do think you can outsource is maybe a 3PL. You can outsource the 3PL. I don't need to have my own warehouse. That doesn't need to happen, right? right. I don't need to have a full-time accounting person. I can outsource that. There's, there are certain things you can outsource even your ad spend because that's just someone that's looking at the, the numbers. But, but the creative that goes into, into that ad spend, that I think has to be done really close to in-house. And, and, and again, as you get bigger, things can make sense because if you have a full-time creative director that is managing maybe a social media agency and maybe a, a creative agency to get that done, that's possible. But it, it's, 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 it's really challenging, you know, for, in my opinion, for a small brand. And, and that's, you know, I, and I've done it both ways too. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's chocolate or vanilla, but for where we're at right now, that's, that's what I think is, is going to, going to serve us best. Absolutely. So, so Chris, going, going forward, you were just talking about, you know, central markets. That's a big deal for you guys. Yeah. We got any new product stuff in the pipeline that you can share with us or a direction? No, nothing, nothing that I can share at the moment. I I have, I have something that I'd like to introduce, but it's, it's really early stages. And (laughs) I would say just because our, our current products itself are sort of, they're not that they're old to us, but they're they're new to the consumer, so we're just focusing on that right now. Right. I think anything new, new product releases, would probably be next year. But I have some ideas that that could be could be really interesting. You know, there's other flavor profiles that we could introduce that we've kind of been been you know working on and and whatnot. So, but nothing, yeah, nothing in the immediate future. It, it would be next year down the line. Did you guys have any major supply chain hiccups and stuff during the? Well, we're still in the pandemic, but yeah, endemic now, but no, no? thankfully not. Um, wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. I, I mean, it's no, I mean, the, the biggest disruption would have been just in, in the coffee uh, industry. I mean, that's, that's, 
yeah. the, the pricing the, the pricing has changed significantly. So, but that's just for you know for the beans and the greens you know across across the globe. But no, thankfully we haven't. So that's been that's been really that's nice. Right yeah, good stuff. Well, I I just uh, first of all just want to express a lot of thanks for taking the time to you know, to join us today and, and talk with us. I want to make sure people know that you can find out a lot more about Humble Maker Coffee at www.humblemaker.coffee. That's how you how you find it. And where'd Humble Maker come from, Chris? So Humble Maker comes from both Brian and I grew up, you know, with humble beginnings. We didn't, you know, our families didn't have a lot of money. And and so we, that was kind of just our, our, our up and uh, you know our parents had instilled in us just to to be humble in life and so you know, we kind of thought that that was appropriate for what we were doing that we were making small batch you know craft cold brew and, and coffee products and so it's like it's literally you know we are humble makers and so we right. thought you know humble maker humble and maker. uh yeah and you know we were Brian and I were kind of toying around with a lot of different ideas and you know, he, he called me and said, what do you think about this? I was like, yeah, I like that. So that's that stuff. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, this, at this point in the show, uh, Chris, we try to make our guests slightly uncomfortable by putting them on the spot for sharing advice and counsel to fellow entrepreneurs, because that's what we're about. A uh, little segment that we call Words to Grow By. It's also now its own blog. Goodness gracious, has life of its own. Have you got something for us today that you'd like to leave with uh, your fellow entrepreneurs? Yeah, you know, a lot of friends and family and, you know, it's, it's almost like, hey, you know, how are you? What are you up to? And my, my response has just been hustling and juggling. And that's my life every day. I'd say, you know, words to live by is, is if you're considering this or if you're, if, you're, if you're in it, I think you'll understand that that's what it's like. I'm hustling every day to make something happen and I'm juggling hundreds of things, just trying to make sure, you know, everything gets, gets done. So for anyone who's considering, I think that's very appropriate. And like I said, if you're in it, I think you, I think you understand what, what that means. I, I can picture you with the plates right now. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, Hey, thank you so much. And look forward to also talking to you a little bit further down the line when you're, you know, busting out all over national and we can look back and talk about what a great ride it was. That'd be cool, man. I look forward to that. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, and by All the right. way, thanks everybody else for joining us here at another Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by the Next Level Brands community. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's with two X's. Our producer is Deborah Armstrong. Our production assistant is Consolata Wakuka. We're always grateful for feedback and comments we get. If you have an idea for a show or a special guest you'd like us to interview, please feel free to reach out and let us know. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us, take a minute to subscribe, and most important, refer us to your friends, because after all, the more the merrier. I'm Steve Clear. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.